are we going? Hello, right, it's amazing to be here. I have Janet Groom, writer, author, legend, transformational coach, um, and is prepared to talk about, you know, what I like to do, guys, really, really honest, authentic chat that's going to help people, nothing, you know, nothing held back. So we're going to dive in. And um, Janet, welcome. How are you doing? I'm brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to join you. This is very exciting. No, it's amazing. And can I just say, I love your accent. Oh, thank you. I think it's I, actually the two of us between your, your Scottish accent and my, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually like a warm hug. <laughs> that's, that's how I would describe your voice. I just love it. Um, and it's been really, really nice. So um, welcome. And yeah, I don't know where to start. Uh, I mean, do you want to give a, a quick intro first about yourself and then I'll start firing some questions, shall we? Okay, um, well, I'm Jana Groom. I am currently, well, I live up a mountain in Switzerland with my husband. We've been living in Switzerland for the last 10 years. I have my first debut novel is coming out very shortly. Oh. And, <laughs> um, I enjoy writing and I also work as a transformational coach. And that was something I got into about um, five or six years ago, I really got into it, was because I actually needed to find a way for me to help to heal and to get through some issues in my life. And then it was great to now use those tools to support other people. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I love what I do. That's amazing. And, and those are often the greatest stories when something, you know, tough happens. And you can go, right, I'm not going to be a victim anymore. I've, I've healed. Well, I, you know, it's whatever we go through, we have, there's a healing process. But it's when you can use those learnings to really give back and help. I mean, how amazing. How amazing. So well done. Massive respect to you because it takes a lot of strength to do that pick yourself back up um, so let's go let's start and I know we want to cover a huge taboo topic and I get a lot of messages from people about fertility and I struggle and I've actually thought about rebranding because of this because my brand at the moment I mean I'm known as Jojo Fraser but also Mummy Jojo and I don't want to exclude people that don't have kids I don't want to make people feel bad they're struggling to conceive um, I don't want to patronize people either. Obviously, I'm a mom of two amazing kids, so they will come into my content, but my work is helping people get their mojo back, and it's not, I don't want it to just be for parents. Um, so when we were speaking about, you know, the kind of journey you've had, do you want to tell us where it started and, and when you realized that there were, were these issues? Okay, yeah, it's, it actually sort of started. And what happened was I was in my 20, early 20s and I was having some issues with women's, women's issues and I was referred to um, a consultant. I was living in, in London at the time and I went off and did tests, didn't think anything of it. I just thought, whatever, okay. And I remember the consultant coming in, it was a female consultant and she came in and she sort of looked at me and sat down and it was very uncomfortable. And she didn't look like very comfortable to tell me what she was going to tell me. And she brought a, a nurse into the room and she said, um, I'm sorry, um, you know, it's, 
I need to let you know, but it looks like you've, you've literally gone through the menopause. And, and I'm like sitting there going, the word menopause was something I thought of, you know, like women in their sixties, you know, type of thing. And I'm going, what, what is she talking about? And I'm like, my brain was going, I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And what she was saying was that, um, it looked like they're not, they can't exactly be sure what happened, but that potentially in my teens, I had more or less gone through, um, puberty. And then something had happened that had immediately caused the menopause. So I'd gone through the menopause in my, in my teens. Wow. Um, which I have to say there was a time whenever I didn't have, you know, periods and stuff. I was quite happy. Yeah. yeah. Everybody else was suffering and I'm going, no, I don't have that problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to, were there other symptoms? Were, were you, I mean, rat, like really grumpy or... <laughs> Um, I, I think if you spoke to my family, they'd say I was very moody. Yeah. Um, but I kind of thought, put that down to more puberty than anything. Yeah. But I guess looking back now, it wasn't. It was actually the impact of the menopause. Um, I don't remember anything like um, memory loss or night sweats or anything that you, when you read about menopause, that you hear about these things. I don't remember any of those. Um, all I do remember, though, was at one point I had some sort of a virus and they suspect that that triggered um the menopause it, it basically were my my autoimmune system attacked my ovaries oh goodness that's so, scary i mean do you have stats on how many people this happens to i don't have stats, but the, i remember looking it up once and the the chances of winning the lottery are better oh goodness so i mean that's going to have a absolutely massive impact on your well-being it did and I think what was difficult was I was living on my own at the time in London mm -hmm. um, my family coming from Northern Ireland my family just don't talk about this sort of stuff right. um, I remember there was no offer of any um, counseling or any sort of support I mean oh. literally I was just left handed and told I have to take HRT now for the rest of my life and you know that was it and I was just left like a floundering fish out of water going I don't understand but there was no one I could speak to oh. and how I dealt with it was I ended up just shutting everything down mm -hmm. because I always I always saw myself being a mother and yeah. getting married and having a family and that was you know, I didn't have big aspirations or big dreams of becoming anything, you know, important. That's the family side of thing was the important thing to me. And mm. it just basically, I couldn't, I, I think I just literally shut down because I couldn't, I couldn't compute. I couldn't deal with it. Yeah. And um, because I still had to get up. I still had to go to work. I still had to, you know, I was living on my own. I had to, you know, still get my income and I had nowhere to turn. That's really hard. It's really, it was really, really hard. And I didn't, I didn't know. It was no one said to me, oh, this happens. And there's a group of people you can go and speak to. Now I know in the UK there is, there's the Daisy Chain Network, which is okay. doing, you know, phenomenal work. But I didn't have that then. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really, yeah, it was the fact that there was just no one, no one to talk to. That's hard. So when you say in Northern Ireland, you don't really talk about, is this a cultural thing or? 
I, I think, Janet, well, I don't know if it's just my family, but having talked to other people is, you know, just anything revol revolving around sort of, you know, anything revolving around sex, basically. Uh-huh. And like a lot taboo. of a, a taboo subjects, certainly in my generation growing up. Yeah, of course. I'm, in, I'm 52 now, so I'm maybe a little bit older than, than some people. But, but certainly then, and it was not something that my, my mother could talk to me about. Um, I have a sister as well. And my sister just said to me, she says, well, you're lucky. You can't have kids. Um, and I just went... I just could not speak to anyone. Nobody would understand. Nobody could, yeah, oh, appreciate is... what I was going through. Yeah, because it's a lot. You're almost grieving in a way. It, yeah, that was something that I've I've learned. I mean, basically, I think from the age of well, I was diagnosed when I was um, twenty three, mm -hmm. and. Then for the next almost like two decades, I just shut everything down. Um, and that was really hard because then you were entering this stage of your life where friends are getting married, friends were starting to have their family. And every time someone had, a, had you know, were pregnant, that was really hard for me to deal with. I mean, I was, it was really hard because I was so happy for them. Yes. But then yeah. a part of me would just start crying on the inside. And oh, I was trying to be strong all the time. Yeah. And it just was, yeah, it was, it was devastating. It was absolutely devastating. And when I finally met my husband <laughs> um, and we got married, I mean, the first thing I said to him, I explained about everything and he was, he was fine. He said, yeah, if we can have kids, great. You know, we'll look at different things. We'll, we'll talk about it. And that was, he was very understanding. So he's a gem. Um, and now now looking back, the one thing, you know, I'm a little bit sorry that I didn't really look into the alternatives because, you know, today we now know that there's, you know, fertility treatment, there's surrogacy, you know, there's egg donation, there's a whole range of different things. There. But at the time when I was there, these were things people didn't talk about. Right. Yeah. So it's a generational thing because now it seems the norm for people to be going for IVF and all these different things that are available. Exactly. Um, so that's that's tough. Um, it's it's hard. And did you ever consider adopting or? Oh, that was that was. The, yeah. When when we lived in America, that was about how long ago? About twelve years ago. Mm -hmm. Maybe a bit longer than that. We, we were living in America and my, we were there for about three and a half, four years and we were due to return to the UK. And one of the things my husband and I had decided is that we were going to return to the UK. We were going to settle down and the one thing we were going to do was look into adoption. Mm -hmm. And then the financial crisis happened and my husband was oh. in banking. Oh. And he ended up, he had no job in America the job that he was supposed to be coming back to in the UK disappeared and we were thrown a lifeline to come here to Switzerland. And I remember getting here and the thought of starting life again, because I've, I've, I've have lived an expat life for a number of years and, and the start, I was very excited and I loved it. But this was the time when I came here and I was in tears. I just went, I don't want to be here. My dreams were being crushed again. Right. Um, and having to start everything all over again in a foreign country, learning the language, you know, getting yourself a new doctor and explaining all this again. And oh, 
it was just so hard. Yeah. And I remember trying to be strong mm-hmm. yeah. and deal with it. And then, then I just broke. It just, it was like a volcano erupted because I'd been trying to suppress everything for so long. Yes. And the more you suppress it and hold back and it, it does hit you like a tidal wave. It, it just knocked me for six. And I just so, I mean, I think over the years I've always had sort of like difficulty just about keeping my head above water, water. And that's the way I describe it. Just keep my head above water. And then this was the point where it just no more. I was drowning. I just oh. could not cope anymore. Um, and yeah, I just completely spiraled down into really deep depression. Yeah. And, um, I remember my husband, you know, he just didn't know what to do. And we didn't have family or friends because we were not long here. And I remember him sort of like taking me in the car and actually taking me physically to the doctors. (laughs) Good for him though that he did that. I'm so glad he did. And I'm very, very lucky at that stage. I had a very, very understanding doctor. Um, He was lovely. And then I got then a female doctor. And they were very, very supportive, I have to admit. But unfortunately, um, coming to live in Switzerland, um, adoption was off, off for us because you need to be a Swiss citizen to adopt here. Okay, okay. And yeah, I thought that we'd only be here for a year or so until everything sorted itself out. <laughs> We've been here 10 years now. <laughs> Time flies though. The thing is, I feel like it was just Christmas and the kids are asking to put the tree up later. Uh, you know, the time just flies in and before you know it, yep. you're like, how has that been 10 years? It is, it is incredible how time flies. But I have to say is one of the things that, that really did actually help the healing process at the start of me starting to see light at the end of the tunnel. They did refer me to, they have a very good... Um, training hospital here in in Zurich Mm -hmm. and they referred me to a fertility um, consultant but who also dealt with infertility right and I remember having sort of that was the first time I ever got to speak to someone and it was great because she spoke English so I could actually do it in English because doing it in a foreign language is very hard to express emotions yeah of course Um, and she was she was wonderful and she was like so good and she let me get everything out and then she said right but see this we're going to say this is ground one this is day one what are you going to do tomorrow and she started getting me to focus back on oh what is the possibilities for tomorrow or what can I be doing you know start to do today that can help to build step by step moving forward she got me to start seeing the possibility of moving forward and not being sucked into this sort of this experience that I couldn't change Uh okay I see that's really good because it's like you know you think of a marathon life can sometimes feel like a marathon and sometimes it is just one step one day at a time what have I achieved today even if it's just getting out of bed or having a shower or putting on some lipstick or, or just anything that you can put down Exactly, exactly. Just step by step. And she's sort of, you know, working with her, then it was started to be, okay, well, you know, what are the things that you can start to do? And, you know, 
where do you want to go? You know, this is your time. Okay, maybe that's off, off the agenda now, but let's get you back to where and what you can do. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that started me on the journey. We we're talking earlier about you know, how we love to, you know, learn and different things. And I started getting interested. I thought, well, what about that if, you know, NLP, neuro linguistic programming, because, you know, I'm have been so much in my mind. I'm interested in that. I'm curious about that. So I studied NLP. I studied hypnosis. Um, I did life coaching. You know, I did a whole, like, like all of us, a lot of us do a lot of myriad of different um, learnings of different modalities. And, and along that way, I was healing. Yes. Yeah. Because you're learning and you're, yeah, yeah. You, you know what to do. That's amazing. So how long did that journey last for when you were training for all the life coaching and the NLP and hypno? Oh, I think that's been an ongoing journey. I still say I'm a work in progress. <laughs> we all are. We, we are. Until our final day on this earth, we're all a work in progress. But I mean, growth, once we stop growing, that's when, you know, life gets boring, right? Exactly. You know? Exactly. need to grow every day and get a little bit of a, a mojo hookup. Um, I, I love this. I love it. So you are a transformational life coach. I, I really been exploring transformational coaching this year and I write about it in my own book. Do you, so do you work with clients via sort of Zoom, Skype or how do you? I, I used to have my own practice room when I was in Zurich um, because I, I really am somebody who loves the energy of being in the same room with somebody. Um, uh-huh. I come from a background of training and I just love the, that energy. And I did try when we moved up to the mountain to build up an online business. And I some clients it works for. Um, I normally prefer if I can do workshops. Okay love to be in that space with people yeah Um, so face-to-face workshops Mm -hmm. yeah I feel the energy is just it 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 feeds me but I I get that it also creates um a nice energy for the healing for other other people whether it's on a one-to-one basis or whether it's a group session and Mm -hmm. I always find that that works better for me Okay. And what sort of coaching, are there specific people you like to work with, specific, you know, issues people have, or would you say with life coaching, it, it can be something for everyone? Do you, do you know something? It's, it's when I, when I was looking at sort of setting up the business, it's like, oh, you've got a niche down, you've got a niche down. And I'm going, mm, I could, I think life coaching is something for everyone. Um, <laughs> this is, it's so hard because, you know, and then I started, you know, is it depression? Um, and then I find, well, actually that just got me feeling a wee bit more depressed. And I thought, no, that's not the right thing. It's, Uh I want, I talk about, you know, the hope, the light at the end of the tunnel, the, the joy, you know, shifting people from that dark place to the light. Yes. Yes. Which is key because the stats, I think it's about 70% of people do recover from things like depression. Absolutely. I mean, okay, there's, you know, medication out there and you maybe need that in the short term, but it really is about transforming your life and putting you back in control and yes. back and giving people back that empowerment of having choices and choices mm-hmm. actually are one of the key things is to feel that, you know, okay, I actually can make a choice here. And one of the other things that we, you know, we talked about as well is about being in your own truth mm-hmm. about knowing what's right for you. Yes 
speaking yeah yeah and just be really listening to that as well because it can be so easy to get caught up in other things but actually having that space in a coaching environment where you can really explore and unpick and grow and you know growth can be a really dark time and it, it can be a really exciting time as well it, it can be scary Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it, it is a scary journey. But when you see when some people, they really come to coaching whenever they've got they've they've really got to the point where things are just so, so bad or so desperate that they they need change. And, you know, it's a, I hate to see that people get to that point. I really do. Yeah. Um, but at least when they get to that point and you start just the little little bits of getting them back on track and seeing them start to bloom and thrive again. I mean, that's, that's the amazing part that makes my soul sing Um, to suddenly get them to a point where they're starting to see and feel better Yes, and start to see the joy. I mean, I've worked with, you know, I've also worked with some men. I mean, I, I think predominantly I always thought I'd work with women, but I've actually worked with some men. And it's, it's very interesting that the, it's, with them it's the emotional side, that they don't understand emotions because they've never learned them or learned how to deal with them. I mean, I, hopefully I see so much with the new generation. A lot of parents are teaching both their sons and daughters about the emotional side of things. But for that generation, there wasn't that. They shut down. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it was so interesting. There's a lot of work these days and my own coach from Emma from Fourth Coaching, she, um, she does like a gender course and it's raising sons, raising boys, how we can raise them to, you know, understand all these things that, that you know, the skills that we are, you know, drilled into us as women. Um, and also an interesting point, I did a podcast um, about online bullying and bullying in adults and kids and we're speaking about the gender and women are raised to kind of compete against each other more and men are more team players so it's trying to it seems very old school and it's trying to encourage people you know compliment other women build each other up we don't have to compete against you can be a cheerleader for other women you know but there's still this mentality in some that you have to claw and that these stereotypes that women are bitchy and men are supportive and actually I think there's going to be a lot of great work there about how we can shift that exactly exactly and I mean one thing that I'm doing right now is I I'm working on um writing um a non-fiction book and it's about right to heal and it's talking about using mod- writing modalities to help people because I find as well that some people find it very, very hard to orally express situations or feelings. They just don't know quite how to get the words out and it yeah. gives them their voice voice back yeah. in different ways that they can, they can do that. I think that's a really good idea because it's something that I've really valued this year. It's just the, the ability to speak out and, and to be reminded of how rare that how many people struggle with that so I think a book like that will be essential I'll certainly um, be sharing it but you've got a book at the moment tell us about that I have can I show it to everyone yes I'd love to see it I love the cover oh my cheeky little Kate on the front (laughs) oh who who designed the cover it's amazing um I did a lot of the mock-ups and then Sean pulled it together at the end so yeah but this I is love a character it. here 
caused when I was doing some book designs, I was sharing it with my, with my Facebook group and stuff. You either, she's a Marmite, either you love her or hate her. <laughs> but the UK, people loved her. I love, I love, I love. It's br- I think it's a brilliant job. It's really exciting. Thank did you, with that guy's house, because he, he does like co- coaching space as well, did you do that or was it more just... I did only because it gave me accountability to work through, to get there. Um, And because it's my first book and I didn't quite know how to attack it and stuff. But I have to say for Sean, he was great maybe for nonfiction, but he really didn't have much of a background for the fiction side of things. But it still got me there. It still got me going through. And sometimes, you know, we'd have a chat and he'd go, oh, I really like this or maybe change this a little bit or whatever. And, you know, it's all good feedback. Yeah. Is what really? what are what have been your key lessons in in terms of bringing this book together for people that want to write their own book? What what what's it taught you? The process of getting it to this amazing end result that I'm so excited to read. Don't give up. <laughs> um, yeah. Get your mindset set set up for for doing it. And I think once I made up my mind and allowed, give myself permission to go ahead and do it. That was the first step that opened the floodgates for the, for the actual writing. The book was quite straightforward, uh-huh. but I, I do come from a training and a project background as well. So I'm used to kind of breaking things up. Um, and as part of the coaching I do as well, I, you know, help people to form goals and to break it into bite-sized chunks. And for me, I needed to do that. I needed yes. to sort of say, right. Okay. I put, put the books down into like four parts because I didn't quite have the chapter structure. So I kind of went, okay, this is part one, part two part. And I give myself a time scale to write that. And yeah. And it just, then it just, it came and, you know, you mentioned before that sometimes it was a case of like, you just didn't have enough time or space to write um, Mm -hmm. rather than it being sitting there going, Oh, I don't know what to write. I never actually had that. So it was, sorry, go on. It was a great journey. I loved it. Amazing. And can you tell us a little bit more about the story and give us a teaser? Well, it's um, Kate, who is the protagonist, the main character. Um, It all starts off on New Year's Eve when she's at some friend's house. And, you know, we've all been there and make New Year's resolutions. Mm -hmm. And she always makes the same resolutions. And her husband makes a joke about her you know, same resolutions and her best friend makes a comment and it kind of sets the ball rolling that she makes a resolution that she is determined to, to make that sets her off on a journey where she joins the Naked Knitting Club. Oh. So it's, it, it's something when, when you start to read the book, the character, it's a very big step <laughs> and a very out of character step to join a Naked Knitting Club. But what turns out to be something that yeah, is, a, is a leap of faith, is a big step for her. It turns out that she, she meets with these rather eclectic bunch of people mm-hmm. who actually become really good friends. And it's about the friendships and the support as life happens and life will happen for Kate. And these people are there for her. Wow. And, and naked. I, I like the <laughs> idea. I don't know where that came from. 
it's it's symbolic to you know freedom and, and just uh, I, I think what we're saying about the mask that we so often wear and how much we keep in it's actually really beautiful because all you've been through and and listening to your story and you're saying here I am you know take my clothes off and and let me give you my story you know it is there's a vulnerability there's a vulnerability and an authenticity of like yeah when you when you when you strip bare I mean you've nothing to hide um so yeah this was a a big step for her and then it becomes the whole nudity thing meant nothing um when she got into that space but it was her journey of getting into that sort of um and yeah it goes back into sort of different things so yeah it wasn't an easy process for her (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, in Switzerland, where you are now, do they do naked swimming? I know they do it in, is it Finland or where is it they do the I've not heard of naked swimming, but we do have naked hiking. And wow. certainly the sauna facilities here are often naked. Wow. Um, yeah, so you need to be a little bit aware. <laughs> wow. um, yeah, they, they don't have, in Europe, that's one thing that I've I've discovered here is that the whole nudity thing is not a big deal. Yeah. Have you, I, I mean, so the culture, would you say they're more laid back? What is it about this naked thing? They just, they just don't, I mean, for me, again, growing up in Northern Ireland, it was anything like that it was such a taboo subject and you know you were clinging to everything to keep it and you know when you read when you read the book anyone who knows me can see part of me in the character where, you know I don't you know don't do communal changing rooms and you know all these sort of things but that's because how I was brought up but here it's just like they they, they just grow up and and your body's your body and there's not a big taboo deal about it and it's not all about I don't think they put that sort of as much sexual side on to it mm-hmm. it's just okay. your body it's your body yeah that's really interesting because I love the feeling of swimming naked and just I love that I like I walk around the house a lot naked which isn't great because we're in a cul-de-sac and I do need to make sure the curtains are closed um TMI people just don't need to see that but it's not a, a sort of sexual thing no. it's just I'm just relaxed it's I love the feel I think looking at my own values this year and freedoms really come up for me I mean with this whole process of writing and coaching would you say you now know what your life values are and what you're not prepared to compromise on yes and I think also age is another thing as well yes absolutely I think these are it's almost like things that it's it's like a suit of clothing that you're growing into or your skin that you're growing into Uh um that yeah, you get a lot more comfortable with with these things, but it really does help if you can establish. And I've always had sort of strong values, um, but some of those have not always served me, and I've learned that, mm-hmm. and I've had to release them and to allow more flexible um, in certain things and not I be. Like that. <laughs> I like that. I love I well I, I I funny enough that my analogy that comes to mind every time I'm sort of thinking that I tend to be a bit sort of like yeah a bit restrictive or a bit sort of in my control zone perfectionist mode and then I have to think no Janet you've got to be like a tree <laughs> and have my yeah. firm roots but then yeah. the, sort of the the um yeah the branches sort of then have to be a bit more flexible to to go with the, the wind yeah. 
yeah I like that I mean I always say you know you don't need 100% to get an A we don't have to be perfect at every single little thing Um, it's okay to slip up it's okay for everything not to be the exact way you see it but it takes practice doesn't it it does but actually once you can start to release that controlling and that perfectionism it actually frees you up and I tell you it takes a lot less energy (laughs) oh yeah so what tips would you have for people that want to release that need for control I yeah it's one of the one of the first things is is awareness of when you're doing it yeah. And that's, and and then acceptance. So awareness and acceptance are two of the things that I that I often talk about with with clients. Awareness. Once you're aware, you know that you can change something. Yep. And then you know the acceptance of you know well, am I accepting that this is how it should be, or am I accepting that I need to change it? So you've got a little bit of awareness and acceptance are the two things I talk about. And how do we get people that are very close-minded to become more open-minded? Because we know uh, being more open-minded is better for our mental health and our mojo. It's hard sometimes. It is hard. But again, I always think that you can't change someone who doesn't want to change. Yes. And that is something that, you know, as a a healer, as a a coach, you know, it took me a while to actually accept that to learn that because I'd be wanting to fix everybody um and then I realized you can't I can only help and support and you know guide the people who really want to change so people who are very close-minded unless they want to change it's it's very difficult but that's not to say that when they start to see people around them change that that can impact them a nice ripple effect I think Right. So being a role model helps. Exactly. Or inspire, inspire people to change. Uh And the great thing about being an author as well is you can do that with your words. The power of words. I'm a big advocate of the power of words. Absolutely. And our stories and we can change our stories. Yes. Yes. That's right. We have the choice. We have the power to plot to do a plot twist exactly because i think a lot of people think oh once you've got your story you're stuck with it i go no you can rewrite your story yeah it's these limiting beliefs that we can't change and people don't change a leopard can't change their spots all these limiting beliefs we're conditioned with you know and actually people can change if they choose to Exactly. But normally, unfortunately, it takes people to get to a really sort of, as I say, a desperate stage where then they know something has to change. And, you know, it's always I always find that so, so sad that people have to get to that point. But, you know, it's life for human beings. And, you know, I speak to any coach healer. We can only help the people who want to be helped. What would you say are the warning signs for people that they really is getting kind of cold red? Well, for me, I know when it was when depression, I mean, thank goodness, touch wood, um, that, has not, that has been something that hasn't happened for a long, long time. But I, I have learned to recognize when I start to spiral down, um, you know, lack of interest in things, unable to make decisions. My head gets, you know, fuzzy that it's like I'm in a cloud 
I get start to get very frustrated, very angry, very short with things. Um, yeah, I lose interest in things. You know, I think it's starting to recognize those points where you're starting to slip down. Um, yeah, when you when you feel that pain and suffering is overwhelming, mm-hmm. you need to be able to talk. I mean, you've said there about talking to someone, a family member, a friend, just someone that you can reach out to, because you know it, it saddens me greatly to 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 hear you know about the suicide rates, and it's mm-hmm. because our society is now we're losing that community support mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm so many of us are becoming isolated yes and it's it's getting back to a point where you know you, you can reach out you can ask for help and it's okay to ask for help mm-hmm. we all so, need yeah. help at some time or other we all need help we're it's not so, an island yeah yeah and it takes a village to build each other up and just exactly. keep talking sharing supporting and turn the music up and um at this point i would normally ask your favorite song i would sing but i've never this is my first zoom so i don't know how we would do it and if i have to do that part separately but um what is your favorite song i love happy oh i'm happy happiness is for you because i'm happy you want to sing us a line no because i can't sing everyone says that to me i'm like everyone could sing we all have a voice but dancing and singing and and shaking and music but um I'll go and play happy and dance around after this and shake it all off. Um, I've really enjoyed this chat. Thank you for being so honest. Thank Um, you for inviting me. It's been great talking to you. And it's been nice to share this and actually tell my story because it's taken me a long, long time to be able to say this, to be able to to share this. Because if it helps anyone else to realize there's light, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, I, I know you'll help so many. And the thing is, there'll be so many we don't know about that won't tell us they've watched it or listened. Um, so my message to you, if you don't want to share, um, is just you're not alone, guys. Thank you for tuning in. There is light at the end of the tunnel. We promise you, even if it may not feel it right now, stick in there. And you might have a book like... <laughs> you know, Janet's pick. Um, so, so be inspired, you know, the best writers have issues because we all have issues, but um, yeah, it's amazing and really inspirational stuff. So, so thank you. So where can people find you if they want to go and learn more? Um, my website is www.janetgroom.com. Amazing. Nice and easy. That's great. So we can have a wee look and um, check out the book, guys. I'm really excited. I think I I love the concept and uh, yeah, all the best with it. Keep me posted and uh, I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Lots of love. Sorted. Mm-hmm.